hopefully was renewing for you, um, encouraging a culture of uh, resting for 24 hours, ceasing from making something or making something out of you um, to renew yourself, to see yourself restored, uh, to embrace the day and embrace those around you, um, to find creativity and um, beauty and uh, to begin to uh, just um, feast uh, on all of God's goodness. Um, as we were meant to. Today, we are continuing kind of those themes of this contemplative, uh, the contemplative life. What does it mean to practice contemplative prayer? Um, and then next week, we'll be at uh, interior life. Uh, we'll be talking about our bodies. How do we think through being formed in the image of Christ and engaging our bodies with that, uh, that we all host and live and have one of these earthly things called flesh. Uh, we'll be talking about racial reconciliation, sexual wholeness, and missional presence as we begin to think through what does it mean to be formed in the image of Jesus. Um, today we're talking about uh, this, this concept of contem- contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer. Uh, the word contemplative, um, our, our word prayer is, is, has kind of been cheapened uh, and uh, over the years, over hundreds of years actually, uh, th- that uh, Prayer was meant to be a form of being with God. Uh, One way of thinking about prayer is lifting mind and heart to God. Uh, But after um, Constantine in 313 A.D., you know, Christians as a society became more normal, that if you were Irish, you were Christian, or if you were this ethnic city, you were Christian. Um, And prayer became used as something, as a way to pray something for an agenda or to use it in a functionalized way, right? To make an announcement to God or have a transactional thing happen where if I say this, I get this. Or um, as a leader, you may use prayer to get people to get on board with your agenda. Or you may want to get God on board with your agenda as you pray. Um, And um, during that time, there was a group of sincere seekers uh, who went to the deserts to create an alternative society called the Desert Fathers. Uh, these people wanted to go deeper into their spiritual life to get removed from the like stereotypical uh, status quo Christian culture that was existing. And they wanted to go deeper into prayer, and that's where we get this word contemplation. Contemplation. Uh, and uh, they wanted a different form of consciousness, not just saying prayers, not just verbalizing words to God. They wanted a living union, a living union with God in which there was a oneness, that the point of prayer was not to get something from God, but was just to be with God. Uh, we see this kind of prayer uh, announced in an interview with Mother Teresa several years ago with Dan Rather. Dan Rather asked Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, when you pray, what do you say? And Mother Teresa says, I say nothing. I listen. And then Dan Rather says, well, what does God say? And she says, he says nothing. He listens. And she says, if you don't understand that, you can't understand prayer. (laughs) And so Dan Rather was kind of baffled, like, okay, I don't know really what to say next, um, but to listen. (laughs) Um, But we see here this beautiful uh, picture of contemplative prayer. What is it? Um, I may be jump, jumping around my notes a little bit, so try your best to follow me. But contemplative prayer is uh, a long, loving look to God. And one way to think about it is it's taking a long, loving look at God, and I would say taking a long, loving look at whatever is real 
whatever is real, which capital R, God is the ultimate real. But I would say anything that feels real, maybe uh, feels has its significance and meaning and beauty. Um, another way of thinking about it is is um, beholding the presence of God. Um, to behold the presence of God and to share what you behold. Uh, is to be someone that is contemplative. Um, There's a long list of people in the Bible who were contemplatives, um, and it goes all the way back to Moses. You look at David, which we're going to look at today. Uh, You look at John the Baptist was a contemplative, longing for God's presence, right? Um, Jesus says that often... Often Jesus would withdraw to lonely places to pray, and we're going to kind of break that phrase down. But Jesus would often withdraw from all the stimulus in the world, all of the content, all of the people, all of the people wanting him to do miracles, and withdrew to lonely places to be with God. Uh, Paul and John, John was, um, all of his visions that he got to write Revelation came as a contemplative to someone who meditated on God's presence, meditated on who God was. So contemplative prayer, I say this because there can be some thoughts of, oh, that's very Eastern um, to, to just be mindful or to contemplate. No, this was very Christian way before it became popular with, um, you know, Calm Class at CPS or, uh, you know, Mindfulness app on Apple Fitness. This was a practice all the way down to the Old Testament and through the church fathers, which we look at David in Psalms 46. He says, be still and know that I am God, is the, is the often, you've probably heard that prayer. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So I just kind of want to break down those phrases. Um, be still. First of all is be still. Uh, modern technology and inventions have shaped our society. Three major modern inventions, if you think about it. The first one being the clock. The moment where way time was measured naturally, when you actually saw that it was getting dark, so you went to bed, and you, the sun rise, so you woke up. You saw that it was getting dark, you stopped working, you get ready for bed, right? Before the clock, uh, time was measured naturally, right? This is probably why, you know, they probably slept a lot in the winter and rested a lot then and more active in the summer, um, these, these cultural patterns we have today. Uh, but once you began to take that natural rhythm and measure it art, uh, more technologically, society began to shift. Uh, another one would have been the light bulb and obviously the iPhone. Um, and so this kind of leads to uh, shaping our spirituality. It shapes all of our lives, right? We feel in a hurry, but think about um, we want a very fast religion. Just give me the things I need to know, pastor, and the things I need to do, and I'll do it, you know, like, so I can feel good about myself, and I can feel secure, and I don't have to worry about my eternal state, you know, like, we can fall into these weird old school traps. Give me a few rituals, give me a few prayers. Um, psychologist Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. A journalist asked Thomas Merton, what is the greatest spiritual disease of his time? And his answer was efficiency. Efficiency is the greatest. If I were to ask you, what's the greatest spiritual disease attacking America? I don't think many of us would think efficiency, but this is, when you really think about it, it's very true. The truth is, it's not just these external forces, though, that are drawing of us, of work and things that we're doing. Often we create our own environments 
to what I'm finding is we create um, external environments to mirror what's happening in here. That if our soul is in a hurry, our anxiety internally is running rampant, we create an external environment to mirror our inner lives. If we could only find silence as the source of sound and press into the spiritual vitality that David is getting at. Remember when David prays, be still and know that I am God, he, uh, he's going to bed at night thinking his enemy could attack at any moment in his sleep. I'm going to bed just thinking about maybe a to-do list. But David was the king of an entire army with a lot of worries as a king. And yet he still found time to practice being still and knowing that I am God, that God is God. And so prayer often, if we are off honest, um, we have to think about is prayer kind of used um, to help really up the life that you would like otherwise? Or are you using prayer to power you to live the life you're already going to have. Let me say it again. Are you using prayer to just kind of add on to the life you're already going to live? Or is prayer going to upend the life you're living to draw you into a deeper alternative life? Because we can, we can see prayer, you know, we can emphasize prayer and still fall traps to letting the ego drive everything still. If it's always our words, our agenda, our needs, using, God, using prayer to use God, right? Um, using prayer to still manipulate and control. We can ignore the truth as long as we never stop moving. But David says, be still. Be still. Know God and know yourself. Um, this is not just in the Bible. Uh, sci- social scientists a neurologist, Andrew Newberg, began to study the science of contemplative prayer, the science of, of nuns and other uh, practices, and noticed the intense long-term contemplation of God and spiritual values, how it rewired our brains uh, to be pe- people that are more present, to restore our heart, to fill us with compassion for others. Um, for myself, um, personally, I'm not the best contemplative, um, but I often try to practice it. And there's two moments that were kind of jump-started my interest in contemplative prayer. Uh, the first one was, um, I kind of was at a stage in my life several years ago where the old ways of relating to God just weren't working for me. Anybody else ever have that? Just like the way I engaged God in the Bible, the way I engaged God in prayer, just wasn't feeling connected. And I decided... I was driving, I was taking my daughter to gymnastics and I saw a monastery and I was like, I wonder if I could like sit, like ask these nuns about what they do with God. I just want to like, I'm curious about nuns and how they connect to God. Maybe I can go to a nun's Bible study. So I stopped, there's a monastery on Peterson and I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to take a risk and I knocked on the door and out comes this friar, this man named Cam. Here's Cam. Uh, And I said, hey, uh, I know this is very unorthodox. But uh, I'm just wanting to learn more about Franciscan prayer. Can I, can I come hang out with the nuns here or something or like go to a Bible study? And he's like, eh, 
not really, but come on in. <laughs> so I walk in and we sit down and we talk for hours. And then I said, you know, maybe we should just do this once a week. And I began to meet with Cam uh, for several weeks until um, he moved. Um, he, uh, in, this, in the Catholic tr- tradition, they placed their priests or friars. And uh, I remember one day, the time was very beneficial, time talking about contemplative prayer. But one thing that stands out was uh, he said, you know, they're wanting me to go. I want to go work with a Polish community in Chicago, but they're wanting me to go be a priest in Mississippi. And I was like, Cam, you can't do that. I was like, I'm from Alabama. Like, people, you don't understand the way people view Catholics in the South. It's horrible. You can't do that. I'm telling you, don't do this. He's like, Brian, you don't understand. Um, I don't longer live. Like, it's Christ that lives in me. I, I, I've, I've signed up to kind of serve God however I'm needed. I was like, man, gosh, Cam, why you always got to be so spiritual all the time? But Cam, uh, this presence of this was just very helpful in, in, in learning to practice and to value contemplative prayer. And then on my um, sabbatical, I went to a, a silent retreat uh, at uh, St. Benedict Monastery. And there is on the far left a uh, what's called a prayer labyrinth in which you pr- contemplatively walk through and the turns and twists and misdirections kind of help you think through your life and maybe where you've been, where you are and where you're going. If you ever want to look, look, there's some in the suburbs at some monasteries, you could walk around them. They're very nice. But uh, we said, I said in this place, you don't talk to anybody. You're eating. Uh, you wake up early in the morning to do prayer. Uh, you, you, at night, these, these nuns would sing a cappella back and forth to each other. Uh, it was beautiful. Um, you, people are eating with no talking while they're eating and just completely silent. And God does something in us. He detoxes us when we enter in these moments of silence. He detoxes us from all of the voices that we both tell ourselves of what we need to be important, and of society at large. Um, but, but contemplative prayer, I just want to encourage you. And some of you may be thinking, Brian, this is like for the super spiritual Christians. Like, this is not, I'm not going to be doing this. No, if, if you can just sit with God for five minutes, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just to sit with God and be silent and be still, not talking to God, but just to be one with God. I believe it will transform you and will give you the languages of your heart. Um, and uh, what does contemplative prayer feel like? I, I think I'm going to give you some, some helpful things, but I just thought it's easy to, it's hard when someone gives you a t- template for temp- something uh, because we all practice things differently. I'd rather describe what it feels like. It feels pensive. It might feel quiet, silent, joyful, happy, beautiful, quality, personal, speechless. Uh, when you practice contemplative prayer, these are the feelings that may arise. Um, so maybe you, you'd want to do this in a way that fits your personality, um, but these, these are the results of what it, what it often uh, feels like. Um, and, and, and you can't, one thing I would say is that God will bless us and reward us when we come to him in prayer, but the point of contemplative prayer is not to be blessed or rewarded. Um, we don't come to God in contemplative prayer to get some kind of revelation, but God may give you a gift of revelation. Uh, but you don't practice being with God just to get something from him. The point is just to be with him. Um, uh, and, and so how do, we, how do we grow in contemplative prayer? Uh, the first thing we need to do to grow in contemplative prayer 
uh, is to uh, befriend silence, I believe is the first one I wrote down. Befriend silence. Uh, we often buy into this lie that we need prayer to be exciting all the time, that we need it to be um, something that's, that's uh, exciting. I think there's a quote by Ronald Roheiser. Next, next slide. The problem we have in sustaining prayer, they say, is often grounded in the false notion that prayer needs to be exciting, intense, and full of energy all the time. Um, and so we must befriend silence where we see silence as an enemy. We need to see silence as a friend. Uh, the second thing is, I think is very important, is normalize boredom. Normalize boredom. Um, so we must not, um, we have to think, do we worship our experience of God or do we worship God? If we're, worship, if we're, if we're always needing some kind of revelation or some kind of experience, then we may be worshiping our experience of God rather than worshiping God. Um, so when good experiences are not there, we often stop pursuing God. And, and um, often um, in relationships, right, like good conversations don't come because you're like, okay, let's have a good conversation. They come because you just sat forever through a long ride on a car for eight hours and it was silent and awkward pauses and, you know, maybe something comes. And I would say the flip side of that is true, that if you're on a long car ride with someone you don't know, you feel the need to feel the silence. Man, what should we talk about? If you're on the car ride with someone you love and know for years, you might be silent for a long time and just feel so content. And so being silent with God is not a, um, quietness with God is not a picture of a lack of relationship. It is a quality of a deep relationship with God when you experience that sense of silence. Um, uh, another thing that I think about with normalizing boredom is um, often... I think it's very important to say that distractions are going to come. Even today when I practice prayer, I'm always getting distractions. I sit down to pray, I quiet my heart, and I think, oh man, who's going to be playing football tonight? On, uh, not, who's going to be on my fantasy football team? Who do I need? Oh, what about, uh, I forgot the milk at the grocery store. I need to go back and get that. Like I'm always getting these interruptions happening. And so that, that's a hundred different distractions are just a hundred different opportunities to return to the presence of God. That you have a hundred different opportunities to say, I'm going to return to God's presence. How beautiful is that? Um, and so uh, we need to uh, re re remove uh, distractions. I mean, um, remove, enter the distractions, engage them, set them aside. Normalize boredom, befriend silence. Um, Ronald Rollheiser shares another story in his book, I thought it was helpful, that he says, is this help? Can I just pause? Is this helping anybody? You guys good with this? Okay. Just want to kind of talking and talking and talking, and I'm excited about this. I just want to make sure we're all here and good with this. Um, but uh, he says that, you know, if, imagine you have a, a mother in a nursing home. And, you know, the mother has two kids, and one child uh, sees the mother every week, every week for about two hours visits. And, you know, sometimes the conversations are nothing. You're bored. Sometimes the daughter's looking at her watch, like, when is this going to be over? Um, and then uh, the other child lives in California uh, four hours away and flies in once a year to see the mother. Uh, and the mother sees the son that she never sees, and big embrace, they're emotional, she's crying. 
From an outsider perspective, you might think that the son, if you just watch that moment, the son has a closer relationship with the mother. But reality is it's the child who sees the mom week after week that's there uh, present with her in the silence and the mundane who has the deep relationship with the mother. And often in prayer, it's the, the, you don't need the spiritual, the people who know how to be elaborate with their prayers, to say big prayers to you. Yeah, you know, like we can, prayer can be intimidating when you're around certain people that are, you know, wow, he made that prayer rhyme. You know, like, what? you know, I remember growing up, I always, you know, there's the Father God crowd that like uses, it's like shifting gears. I want to thank you, Father God. Oh, Father God, I want to give you this blessing, Father God. I want to, it's like, you know, there's like all these rhythms of prayer in Christian culture. It makes me like, wow, that guy really knows how to pray. But the spiritually mature person is the one who knows how to just to be still and be present to God's heart. To be one with God, not to get something from God, but just to say, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. Um, thirdly, um, to grow in contemplative prayer, we need to embrace the reality that prayer is not something we master, but something that forms us. I kind of got ahead, but that was my last point about the prayers, is that it's not something you master. You're never going to master prayer. Uh, it's not mastering a task or a skill. It's something that we embrace to, that forms us, that forms us. And then lastly, uh, the fourth thing to grow in prayer is trust that God is always waiting for you uh, to be with him. He's always waiting for you to be with him. He's not off in a distance when you haven't practiced this. He's not He's not, I think it's easy as you hear talk like this to think, okay, it's been so long. Um, but when I picture God's face, he may love me, but he doesn't really like me. Um, I've been away from God for so long. I haven't really practiced this. How, he's not going to even want to be with me. He's not going to even want to spend time with me. Um, but the reality is, is one way we, we withdraw is just open, we open our arms to Jesus. Jesus' arms are always open to us. They're always open to us. And when we practice prayer, again, this is not, as, we, as I close here, this is not just for us. Practicing contemplative prayer is a way for us to be present to our neighbors, present to our neighbors. The more we are present to God and present to ourselves, the more we're present to our neighbors. The more we're walking the earth looking for people acknowledging suffering, responding to suffering. Jesus sees people with leprosy and responds. He sees people that are oppressed and marginalized and responds because he often withdrew to be with his Father. The more we are people of presence with ourselves, the more we're present with God, the more we can be present with our neighbor. And once you have that mindset, when prayer becomes... Um, the alternative of just asking God for things, um, what takes center stage? The ego. God is not a genie in the Bible, right? You rub, and it's like, okay, what's going to come out of here? God can be my servant. That doesn't create loving people, but more effective change agents, more longer lasting change is, no, I don't need to, to, to grow in this thing. I'm praying, and when we pray and we begin to do that, what happens in our relationships? Um, we become, lastly, the, the last slide of present, we become non-defensive. We become non-reactive and non-anxious presence to others. That when we're growing in this contemplative prayer, we can hear things and not be defensive. We can not be reactive, but we can be slow and actually respond from a, a place of secure love because we know we are deeply loved by God. And then we can also not be anxious. We don't have to take on and absorb the anxiety of others. 
we can be present and know that we are deeply loved. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I want to close just um, asking us to practice this a little bit. Um, I might ask, I'm going to ask Benet to come and just give us some, some background music to kind of drown out some distractions. Um, but I just want to invite you into a few minutes of silence uh, to practice uh, the, the boring, mundane transformation of contemplative prayer, okay? Um, so I'm going to give us a few minutes, and, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give us a few guides. So if you would, just get comfortable with your body. You may want to close your eyes. You may want to keep them open and fixate on something. Um, I would encourage you before we start to have an anchoring phrase uh, for when you are distracted, when your mind begins to drift. Um, I like to manifest my distractions into like an object, like a cloud floating by in the sky. That way I know um, I can visualize the cloud disappearing and knowing my distractions kind of passed and letting it pass. Uh, But you may want to uh, just... Have an anchor word when you get distracted, like, I'm here, God. But the point here is not to lift your thoughts to God or your feelings to God, but to just be present. And when you have thoughts and feelings that you want to express, um, articulate them and let them pass through. If you would, just put your palms in a position to receive. May you know that even though you are not God, that you are not apart from God. And may you know that you are not the earth. May you know that you are a part of the earth. But you as God's children and creation, may you become new creations in him, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. May you be still and know that he is God. And may God be exalted among the nations. Translation, may you be present to your neighbors in a way that is non-anxious, non-reactive, and non-defensive. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you guys. See you next week. Thank you for being here. Feel free to grab coffee on your way out or say hello. We'll linger a little bit. And um, yeah, excited to see you guys next week. Take care. You're dismissed.